Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad you gathered with us on this Father's Day. I'm listening to that siren go by. It's like, what's going on out there? Hey, on Father's Day, we bring a lot of emotions into Father's Day, both joy, uh, sadness, Joy at a father that uh, fathered well, but maybe a father that is missed. Some of you over this last year may have lost a father. Some, the hope of being a father, that realization that's never happened. Maybe for some of you, that's where you are this morning. But Father's Day, like Mother's Day, brings a a lot of different emotions and feelings. And one of the things I want to start off by saying, you know, is we, on Father's Day, we celebrate the impact that fathers have in our lives. And... I think it's important just to state, though it's obvious, dads are essential. And when dads are essential, men are essential. Masculinity is essential. Now, I know when I say that, sometimes what people hear is that somehow women are not enough, and that's not what we're talking about. And I think in our culture today, masculinity itself seems to be under attack. And if you celebrate men or you celebrate dads, you celebrate fathers, somehow you're patriarchal or you're authoritative, and we carry all that baggage. In our culture, I know a lot of men feel rejected, they feel disrespected, and certainly masculinity seems to be questioned and brought into suspect. But see, God created us to be male and female, and so the fatherhood that we have and celebrate, that comes from God. And also, if you realize that God created us male and female in his image, and so both fathers and mothers, they take their cue from God. That the heart of what a mother is comes from God. The heart of what a father is comes from God. And we want to celebrate today that dads are absolutely essential. And hopefully today, as we go through this, we can kind of empower us to kind of ask the question, you know, what kind of dad is needed today? And so what I want to share with you, we're not going to walk through one passage in particular. I'm going to share out of my own experience and a little bit about where God has taught me. And you know, over the last uh, two years, I've been in a program called Tin Man. Tin Man's a ministry to help men and women to reclaim their heart. And by reclaiming your heart, what you're reclaiming is your voice. See, often sometimes in life as you grow up, and dads, parents, you're going to see this in your kids. They're going to have a voice. And they're going to express their emotions and their thoughts until someone will say, hey, that's not enough. And that child's going to pause and say, wait a minute, my emotions, my voice are not enough. No, you're not enough. You're not good enough. And eventually what a child will begin to do is stop expressing sadness, stop expressing fear, stop expressing themselves, and they'll think, okay, I'm not enough, and so i got to be what my parents need me to be, and so I'm going to start pretending. And instead of asking the more important question, which is, what's wrong with my parents?, Kids get stuck asking the question, and some of you are still asking it today, what's wrong with me? Because someplace along the line, someone told you, you are not enough, you are not good enough, you're not bringing enough, and so instead of being you, you chose to become somebody else, and you started parenting or parroting voices out in the world. And so what I want to do today, and just looking at this, the essentialness of being a father, what does God say about that? And what is God looking for when it comes to fathers parenting their children? So let's, um, as we jump in that, let me pray and then we're going to kind of jump in. You guys ready? Let me pray for us. 
Father, I thank you for the men in this church, whether they are fathers or not. Father, you've called us to disciple one another, to invest into the next generation. And even as men, I know in this room, Father, there are many men in this room who are absolutely alone. They don't have relationships with other men. And Father, maybe they have relationships, but they are not known. There's no one in this room or no one that knows the challenges, the fears, the struggles, the difficulties, and they think that to be a man, they've got to hide who they really are and what they're really feeling. But Father, I thank you before your presence, nothing's hidden. There's nothing hidden before your grace. And so Lord, in, in, in the recognition of the spirit that dwells within us, would you lead us into freedom and truth? To show us what does it mean to be a man? What does it, show, what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a dad? And, and to take our cue from you. So Father, would you guide us in this time? Lead us, direct us, so that we might be with you and in being with you, we would be so much better at being with each other. Help us in this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So first pass we're going to turn to is in Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 says this. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And hear this, the glory of children is their father's. Now think about that. The glory of children is their fathers. Now this side's not working. Some of you are like, what's going on over here? Our bulb went out. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Now we tend to think it's the opposite way around, that the glory of a parent is their child. And the idea of glory is weight, significance, that a parent takes their significance from their children. And so that parent looks lovingly on that child and their meaning and their value and their worth comes from that child. But God says, no. Parents, listen, dad, that little girl is looking to you to find her value. What are you going to give her? That little boy is looking to you, dad, to find his value. See, glory means significance, weight, identity. And that child, it doesn't mean that they're not looking to mom. We're not saying that. But that little boy is looking to you and he's saying, am I okay? You see, a little boy, a little girl, when they're growing up, the first question they start asking is, who am I? And they look at their body and they say, who am I? And they look at their mom, they look at their dad, their brothers, their sisters, who am I? And once they start figuring out who I am, they start asking, you know, what do I want to be? What do I want to be? And then once they start figuring out what I want to be, how do I behave? How do I do it, right? Who am I? What do I want to be? How do I behave? And then guess what comes next? How well am I doing? Dad, where is she going to look to find out how well am I doing and who I am and what I'm going to be and how I'm behaving? That little boy and that little girl, they're looking to you. And they're judging how well they are and their significance, their glory, their weight based on how you respond to them. Little boys, little girls, they look to their fathers to find out how they're doing. You were that yardstick. The question is, what kind of dad are you gonna be? Because I'm kind of nervous on Father's Day. I usually don't preach on Mother's Day because moms, listen, you're doing it great, okay? I, I, I don't know what to give you other than just pursue God, okay? But on Father's Day, one of my concerns is that so often we just kind of, we kind of pour more weight onto fathers. And fathers don't want to come to message on Father's Day. Because <laughs> see, what they think they're going to hear is, here's where you're doing it wrong. Here's where you failed. And guess what, guys? You're running out of time. 
And they walk out of here kind of overloaded, overwhelmed, and ashamed that I'm not enough and I'm not doing it right. And that's not where we want to go today. I, want, I don't want to load you down and overwhelm you. Dads, I want to lift you up and encourage you by giving you a vision of a father that comes from the father's heart. And so what is essential in being a dad? What's essential? Now, contrary to popular opinion, what your kid needs is not a super dad. And I'll tell you why, because super dads, just like superheroes, don't exist. The only thing that exists is a human dad. And what your child needs is all your limitations and imperfections. They don't need you to have it all together. Can we take a little sigh of relief? But you don't believe me. Come on. I preach to the choir. You don't believe that. You think you got to have the answer. You think you got to have it together. You, gotta, you think you've got to have everything so this child can grow up and be something. You don't. There is no such thing as a super dad. And often what children do who live under the image of a super dad, they live under the weight of an expectation they're never going to fulfill. Until they get to the point, right? What age were you at? 30, 35? Wow, he wasn't perfect. I always thought he was. And constantly, you know what you're doing as a child growing up? When you live under that picture, and if you're trying to be that super dad to your kids, you know what they're asking themselves? What's wrong with me? Dad's got it together. He's so smart. He's so perfect. He's so bright. He's so intelligent. And that child's constantly trying to live up to that image and that expectation, and they're like, I don't measure up. Guess what? Your dad doesn't either. And someplace in life, he, he learned to despise his own limitations and to despise his own weaknesses and have contempt for not having the answer and not being strong enough and not being bright enough to acknowledge he's limited. What do your children need? They need a human father. And that is great news because everyone in here is a human being. And you can most perfectly be what God created you to be, which is, you ready? Limited. You can most perfectly be what God created you to be, which is absolutely limited. And your strength is not in you, it's in him who is unlimited. And you find your strength not in admitting to everyone, hey, I got it together, but admitting I don't, but I look to the one who has it together. Because the one thing your kid is going to need when they get older is to recognize their need for God. Dads, that's the number one thing you can teach them is where their need is found. It's found in God. And if you have it all together, then they're going to think, no, you just got to figure life out. A really good father leads their child to God because they recognize my dad needed Jesus. What kind of father do we need? We need a human father. We need a father with imperfections. So a little theology on masculinity. If we went back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And we looked at Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and we asked, you know, what went wrong in the garden? We might first start with what went right. You know, what went right is that Adam and Eve understood that they were human. They were limited. And they understood their need. 
And they didn't despise their neediness. Instead, they looked to God and said, okay, God, I'm, I'm a just creation. You are creator, and I need you. And they didn't despise their limitations. Instead, what God says to Adam, and it was kind of aside, it's not recorded in the scripture. He said, listen, Adam, when you know that you need me and you're pursuing me, you're going to have what it takes to love Eve and to love your children. But Adam, the only way you're going to do that is you have to start by admitting what you need. And what you need, Adam, is me. What did Satan do? He came in and said, you don't need God. Adam, you got enough. You got it all. You can be super dad, superman, superhero, super CEO, super leader in the world, have all the answers, have it all together. And we're still trying to live up to that. When Adam failed to recognize his need, he failed to be a good husband and to be a good father. Because see, he thought it was about me. It's about me. You know, guys, the number one thing God wants from you is not your love. I know he says to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. I'm not, dis- I'm not disagreeing with Scripture, so don't get angry. You know, the number one thing God doesn't want from you is your obedience. I know I'm treading on thin ice. You're like, where is he going here, Jason? Okay, we're about to kick you out. You're not going to be a pastor anymore. Heresy. The number one thing he wants is your neediness. Do you hear me on that? The number one thing God wants from you is he wants you and he created you limited so that you might find your strength in him. He wants your need. And you know what life is constantly teaching us? Don't admit you're needy. Come on, that's business, right? That's life. Don't admit. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, the CEOs, leaders, and they're expressing limitations. And I'll say, hey, why don't you go to a counselor? Oh, whoa, wait a minute. I don't have a problem here. Listen, if I, if I went to a counselor, then people would know I'm weak. What? Are we having two conversations? You just told me you're struggling, but you won't go to a counselor because the other people will look at you as weak. You are weak. You're weak. And that's one of the fundamental beliefs of being human is that we are weak and men, we need God. A good father is somebody who just recognizes I need God. I am not enough. I need God. That is gonna address most of the lies in our culture today. It is okay to be weak. It is okay to be limited. You don't have to be perfect. So what's a good father? First thing, a good father recognizes I need God. And second, a good father does not pretend he's perfect. He doesn't pretend that he's got it together. Because listen, God sees through that. I mean, he sees through it. And we even see this in Scripture. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, what you find there is God's contrasting his parenting style with ours. And his is better, just in case you're wondering. God's parenting style comes out of his goodness, his holiness, his perfection. So God is a good parent. He's pretty good. And what he's doing in Hebrews 12 is he's contrasting the way we parent, and he's looking at it, and he's describing it, and he's evaluating it with the way that he parents. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. Listen, here's God assessing how we parent. And he says, besides this, we all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and live? So our fathers disciplined us, and that's how we knew we were loved, because our fathers cared about us. The worst thing that a parent can do is just ignore their child. Verse 10. But notice, for they disciplined us for a short time. You ready for these words? As it seemed best to them. This is God evaluating your parenting style. And he's looking at it, and he said, They parented you as seemed best to them, meaning imperfectly. God's looking at you saying, I know you're doing it imperfectly. But that's the idea. You're human. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God's just saying, listen, parents, you're limited. I see it. And you've experienced it. Anybody that's had parents knows your parents were limited. Why do we run from that reality? Why are we so afraid to admit, I don't know what I'm doing? I got an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old. Can I stand up here and just say, I don't know what I'm doing? (laughs) There's some times I'm like, what's going on here? And I keep telling myself that frontal lobe, it's not developed. Because that's what those psychologists keep telling. What am I, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know that they know. Because that frontal lobe, it's still getting, right? It's getting developed. What what do we, I don't know. And God's saying, listen, I understand. But dads, when you don't know, will you bring your I don't know to the one that knows? And just say, God, I need you. And this isn't true just about, this is true about life. This is true about life. And here's what what I've come to realize about myself. For the longest time, I hated my limitations. I am somebody, as I found out in counseling, who deals with this thing called toxic shame. I don't know if anyone else has walked through toxic shame, but toxic shame is the kind of shame that hates your own limitations. And toxic shame is the kind of shame that says, I'm not going to admit that you hurt me and I'm not gonna admit that I need you. I gotta have it together. And a lot of you have walked through that experience. But see, God's saying to us, you don't have it together. And the more you pretend to, the more destruction you cause. And especially to your children. Because again, children don't know how to ask the better question Not what's wrong with me, but what's wrong with my dad. And and can I say something that will set the parents free? There's going to be a day where your kid needs to go talk to someone about what was wrong with my dad. And that's respect. That's very respectful. It is not disrespectful for your child to go to a counselor and say, what was wrong with my dad? Because you know what that child's going to walk away and do? And get ready for this. That child now can love you for who you are, not for the image of perfection you tried to be. That's freedom. So don't shame that child when they go to therapy to try to work it out, because you know you're imperfect. And see, what God wants to develop in us is a consciousness. And here's the consciousness, a consciousness for your limitations. If you are not conscious of your limitations, you're gonna not have a conscience. 
If you're not conscious of your limitations, you're not going to have a conscience. And a conscience says, hey, I'm, le- I- I'm limited. I realize that. Well, you're probably limited. And if I'm conscious of my limitations and I've got a conscience, I'm going to realize I'm going to hurt people in here. Because that's what limited people do, right? I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the solutions. I'm going to hurt people. And you know what that takes you to? Humility. You're conscious, you're weak, I have a conscience, I'm gonna hurt people, I'm humble, so when people bring their hurts to me, I'm not surprised, and then finally I got empathy. Because if I know I'm limited, and I'm gonna hurt you, and you're gonna hurt me, and I'm humble enough, then when you hurt me, I'm not so shocked and surprised, we can resolve this, because we're both limited. But see, someplace in life, see, children need two things, someplace in life, Children need to know they belong and they need to know they matter. We're providing food and clothes and houses and all this kind of stuff, and we think this is most important. It's important, but listen, what they most need is to belong and to matter. They need to know who their identity comes from. I need to know I belong. I need to know I am valued. And then they need to know they matter, which means what you bring matters to me. And see, that's what a child needs. And if a father knows he's limited then he's gonna know how to, how to care for, to allow that child to belong and to matter. But see, here's what happens. We live in a sinful world. And you guys have all experienced this story. You wanted to belong and you wanted to matter. That's all you wanted. You wanted your father to accept you. You brought what you had, and guess what eventually was said to you? What you bring is not enough. And something in a little child, and a little girl starts to die, And instead of their identity coming from the love of their father and mother, their identity comes from their performance. Because to belong, I got to perform. To matter, I got to perform. And let me speak to the adults here. Some of you are still living in that lie and deception. If I could be honest, I know what that feels like. You know, as a child, I struggled with a very severe learning disability. And back in that day, they didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to deal with it. And so they took me along with other children that had mental retardation. I don't know if that's the right word, but they had struggles, and they put me in the same room. Third grade, guys. What does a child believe about themselves when they can't perform They can't accomplish it. Eventually, this lie came to my heart. You cannot be loved if you don't get it right. Because I was that child in the fifth grade. My page, you ready for this? Blank. Empty. All the little kids around me, they're turning their page in, right? You know what that's like? Anybody? Am I speaking to anyone in here? And all the kids, they're turning their page in. And they're getting it done. And instead of the teacher asking the right question, listen, teachers, I know you're struggling with stuff. I'm not, I'm not dogging teachers. Instead of realizing and asking a better question, they said, this child has a discipline problem. That child didn't know the answer. And see, that child grew up and thought, if I don't know the answers, I can't be loved. And so for the rest of my life, I said, I'm going to be the smartest one in the room. I'm going to memorize every book of the Bible. I'm not going to let anybody catch me off guard. And when they do, I'm not going to admit it because I can't be loved. 
And when you live in an imperfect world, it will say to you, you must perform to belong and you must perform to be loved. And that is the worst thing possible because grace says you are loved and you belong because I love you. And you, you belong because you are mine. And how many of us are living out of this performance-based identity just because our parents, you know, they didn't have it right. They didn't have it right. And so what do our children need? They need a perfectly limited father, a beautifully limited father who knows they're not perfect and they're not trying to be popular and they're not trying to have it all together, but they want you. And, and dad's mom, they want your presence. They want your presence. They want you to bring you to them. Psalm 68, verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in his holy habitation. Our God identifies with the fatherless and also with those whose fathers were less. God identifies with you. And see, the healing happens for us when we start turning to our heavenly father to bring those perfections where our fathers were limited. Not to shame our dads, not to shame our parents, that's not the goal, but to admit this is what I didn't get. And to my heavenly father and say, Father, can you meet that? And you know what he says? Absolutely. Yes. I can meet that. And I want to meet that. You know, God chose you not because he had to. I don't know if you realize that. He didn't have to. I mean, God would be good if none of us were saved. He'd still be good. Do you realize that? I mean, his grace and his majesty and his goodness is that we, he rescues us. But see, God chose you. When my, my kids were little, there's some things I did well. One of the things I did well is we had this little mantra we'd run through. I don't know where I got it. I think it came from the heart of God, but you know, I'd put them on my shoulder after they had the, the bath, right? And you'd kind of jump around, have fun. And then I, I remember doing this more with Bryce, I think. Sorry, Nate. I think I did it with you too. But. And I talked to him. I say, Bryce, I'm so glad to be your dad. You know, one day God came to me and said, you're going to have a son. And I said, well, let's go look for him. And so what God and I did, and I was lying to him. You know it's not true. I said, Bryce, we, we went to all the little boys in China, and they were beautiful, and they were awesome, but guess what? I didn't find you in China. And I looked at all the little boys in India, and they were beautiful, and they were awesome. I didn't find you in India. I looked at all of these little boys in Europe. I looked at all their faces, and we didn't find you. And then we came to the United States, North America, and I heard you were there. I looked at all the little boys in Texas. And then I looked at all the little boys in Mansfield. And there you were. That's my son. And you belong to me. And guess what? I found you. I found you. Do you know what that's, that's what God says to us in the gospel? That's why the gospel is so good. Ephesians chapter 1, let's go to it. 
Here's what God says to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he chose us. God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He searched the world. He saw us. He chose us so that we might be holy and blameless before us. In love. Not in must. Not in should. In love he predestined us to be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. God chose us. Now that word chose, in the English you don't see the full weight of what it's saying. I'm no grammarian but I had to, had to study this. It's in the Greek, that word chose is in the passive voice. Meaning that there's something about the actor, the doer, the subject that's within the action of that verb. That when God chose you, he chose you because he wanted you. That's the passive voice. He chose you for himself. He chose you, and then notice, he chose you in love. He chose you according to the purpose of his will. He chose you because he delighted in you, and he chose you because he wanted you. God wanted to be with you, and that's why he chose you. And when he chose you, he chose you with all your limitations fully exposed. He knew you were sinful. He knew you were broken. He knew you were insecure. He knew you felt unloved. God chose you in your brokenness so that through his love, he might perfect you. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight says it this way. Verse 14. For all who were led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That word Abba is a term of endearment. God's saying, I want you to be with me. I want you to be, know me as your father. I want to have intimacy with you because I know you. You belong, and even though you're, what you're bringing, church, you're bringing imperfection to God, you still matter. Because I want you. Listen, fathers, a lot of you have kids that, you know, as they get older, they get 12, 13, 14, they're like, Dad, you don't know what it's like to be a 12-year-old. <laughs> and you kind of like go, well, I guess you're right. I mean, to, I don't know what it's like Son, I don't know what it's like to be 12 today. I don't. But you know what you can say? Son, I do know what it's like to be afraid. I know what it's like to be sad. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know what it's like to feel alone. I know what it's feel like to not feel like I'm enough. And maybe, just maybe, I know what it's like to feel like you're 12. See, what you have, dads, is you have more years of being human. And what that child's wondering is, are you going to be sad with me when I'm sad? Or are you going to tell me you need to perform better? 
don't bring your sadness to me. Don't bring your anger to me. Don't bring your hurt to me because I need you to be okay or I won't be okay. And what does God say to us? Bring me your tired. Bring me your worn. Bring me your sad. Bring me your widows. Bring me your fatherless. Bring me your outcast because that's what a dad does. Because a father knows what it's like. But see, the problem is we have so shoved down our imperfections and thought we need to be perfect, we can't meet our kids in their imperfections. That's what they need. An imperfect dad who understands what it means to be alone and broken and tired and weak and worn out and disrespected and will walk with them through life and say, son, you're gonna go through this and I wanna experience it with you. And guess what? Here's what God says to you. You know what he says more often than not? I will never leave you or forsake you. Why? Because you're waiting for him to. And your child's wondering the same thing. When am I gonna be too sad, too broken, too lost? And dads, you need to say to that child, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. No matter your limitations, no matter your struggles, I may not be happy with you all the time, but you belong to me and you matter. That's what our father has done for us. And so I don't know where you're struggling in being a parent. If you have any identity in that, that place of struggle, I, I understand that. I recognize that. But the question, parents, fathers, will you bring your imperfections to him? And then can I say second, can we have men, sometimes you need to get together with other men and just be honest. To just be honest with where you are. And men, you need to be courageous enough not to judge them when they do that. Because they're being courageous. And as a church, we need to provide the kind of community where men can come together. And listen, this is true outside of these, these walls. There are men that feel absolutely rejected, alone, afraid, tired, abandoned. And when you bring that kind of weakness to them, it's going to match up with their weakness. They're going to find community. And some of what we need to do in our neighborhoods and our communities is some, simply listen to men. Because there are men all around this 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 community who feel alone and they feel cast off and they feel rejected and they're wondering, will anyone listen to me in church? We need to be that voice that listens. And instead of judging immediately, we say, hey, listen, I understand. Because I wanna love you in your limitations and in your brokenness just as God has loved me in my limitations and brokenness. And then we can invite them to the Father who can meet in their weakness, his strength can show up. Hey, listen, all of us are in that place. The question is, as a community, are we going to be courageous enough to admit where we are? To admit where we are with our parenting, to admit where we are with, with God. You are beautifully, beautifully, imperfectly limited. And he is perfect in every way that you are not. And so dads, I encourage you, don't hide your neediness, but take your neediness to him. Hey, we're going to celebrate communion, and then after that, I want to pray for our fathers, pray for our dads. And so if you want to take a few moments, I'm not sure what God has stirred up in your hearts as we've gone through this, kind of look through some of these passages. It could be maybe feelings about your own parenting or maybe your own father, your own experience, but we want to bring Whatever God is, is teaching us, we want to bring it back to him and say, Father, would you speak to me, guide me, heal me, restore me? And so we're going to take those elements. If you want to grab them, they're in the back. They're also up front. And let's spend a few moments in silence.
um, in silent prayer. Father, you bind the brokenhearted. You're the father to the fatherless. You're the defender of the widow. You tell us that it's in admitting our need, being poor in spirit. It's where blessedness is found. But enslavement comes when we hide our needs from you and from others. And so in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit, would you set the captive free? You created us, Father, to be limited. You created us to be dependent. And Father, in a sinful world, we've received the wrong message that our, we can only be loved if we have it together. And yet in your grace and on the cross, you died for our sins. You decide you died when we didn't have it together. Your love showed up when we had failed so that we would know your love isn't dependent on our performance. It's dependent on your grace and your goodness. And so Father, I pray for anyone here that has never received the gospel, never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. That on the cross, he bore the wrath of God, the brokenness that you lived in and walked in fell on him so that through his death and resurrection, his righteousness and his goodness and his truth might might be placed over you, that we might be declared the children of God. Father, just by faith, we acknowledge we need you. Father, we need you as as men in this community, as fathers, as parents. And Lord, even as those as a church, that we're to disciple the next generation, the next, that could be the men that are sitting next to us, the women, that we are not just simply about a performance on Sunday morning. We are about a community of people that love you enough and love each other to invest not just the gospel, but our lives as well. And so, Father, open up to the power of your healing a vision for a new way of life as we acknowledge just how much we need you. That on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took took bread, he broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat. For this is my body, which is broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of it. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood. Let us receive it together. So, fathers, I want to pray over you. If you have the boldness, if you're a father, you want to be a father, would you please stand up, guys? 
We love you, dads. Would you please stand up? All the dads in this room. This passage I want, I want to read for you and pray over you. 2 Corinthians 12. But God said to me, my grace, men, my grace is sufficient for you. power can be made perfect in your weakness. So man, would you more boast all the more gladly about your weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in you. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, I pray over these men and I pray over those specific weaknesses where Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Where he has said, you are not enough, you are not good enough, you don't have what it takes. Father, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit that reveals the truth of what Christ has done, would you bring healing, restoration? Would you help them to see a vision of life that isn't wrapped up in having everything together, but knowing the one that does, and in the midst of that, seeing the beautiful reality of how you use our weakness and our strength in a way to bring life to others. Father, help us to be a church, a community that lifts up men, invests into them, and takes them down a path of discipleship that leads them to you. We love these men, Father. We love these fathers. Bless them, strengthen them. In Jesus' name.